right, and this morning we're going to start a new series through the book of Micah. So go ahead and turn over to Micah chapter 1. And been wanting to get to this book for a while. There's some interesting prophecies in here. There's some uh, well-known ones that are often talked about. But then there's also some that are not spoken of too often. And um, another, and so I've got a few goals as we go through the book of Micah. Of course, obviously, I want everybody to be very familiar with the, the prophecies in it, the stories, where it is in Israel's history. But then, two, um, there's. I just want to use this book too to illustrate a few things about how to understand prophecy. Often, when we see prophecy, people think of it strictly as predicting the future. And that is not always what it is. Um, it seems that it's that way just because a lot of times in prophecy, it's saying, if you do this, this is going to happen. And that could be good or bad. And whenever they would do that, we would see those things come to pass. But the, the thing is, there were, they were kind of given options. Some of these things you could say are threats. You know, like if, if you don't stop doing this, all these terrible things are going to happen. And because we often see certain things come to pass to the letter, we often expect everything to come to pass to the letter, but we have to take into consideration what ended up happening. And so, uh, not to get ahead of myself, but one thing I'm going to show you as we go through the book of Micah, that the prophecies that, or some of the things that Micah is going to mention, did not come to pass, at least in that generation in the southern kingdom. Because the southern kingdom... They repent. They get right with God. But those things still come to pass just much later. And that's often a thing that we see in prophecy too, where it's like pronouncing maybe all these bad things or maybe even some good things kind of on that generation. But because of you know repentance or even because of disobedience, depending on how the prophecy is going, um, we don't see those things come to pass, but they will someday. So um, again, it'll... Uh, I think it'll make a lot more sense once we see some of these prophecies, see how they play it out. But let's go ahead and start in verse 1. And this is always an important verse uh, in a lot of these minor prophets because you got to remember our Old Testament is not laid out in complete chronological order. We have our books of history, but then we go into our, uh, then you go into your books of poetry, and those take a while to read through if you're reading straight through your Bible. And then you get to the major prophets that are in a chronological order. But then when you get to the minor prophets, it kind of starts all over again. And so it's important that you take a mental note of where they are historically. And it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Morashtite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So... Uh, that right there gives us a timeline. And, you know, Jotham, not a whole lot happened during his reign. Ahaz, we don't see much. He wasn't king very long. Uh, Hezekiah, we're pretty familiar with Hezekiah. Uh, there's a lot about him in the book of Isaiah. And he was the one that Sennacherib came after. And he's the one that God gave another 15 years to. And there's some pretty uh, well-known stories about Hezekiah. But um, his reign took place during the time when the Assyrians were the world power and they took over the northern kingdom and took them into captivity. But Judah was spared during that time. So this gives you a rough idea of where they were in their history. And it is worth noting that when we get to minor prophets, how those are laid out too. Because we have Hosea, Joel, 
and Amos, which those are prophecies that you could say they're in a chronological order, but those are geared more towards the northern kingdom. And then you have uh, Obadiah and Jonah, which are, you know, Obadiah is a prophecy against the Edomites. Jonah is a prophecy against Nineveh. Uh, And then when you get to Micah, it's kind of starting over again. And now these prophecies are kind of focused more on the southern kingdom. And so while they would often have things about both, and this one definitely has uh, messages for both, um, you know, it is kind of geared more towards the southern kingdom. Uh, and, and one of the ways you know that too, all the kings that are mentioned were southern kingdom kings. And so uh, Micah through Malachi, they're basically in chronological order, I believe, or um, roughly chronological. And so what's important to understand about these prophecies is that Samaria or the northern kingdom and Jerusalem are in danger of being wiped out by the Assyrians. The Assyrians definitely have the power to take them out. And so we're going to see, though, the southern kingdom, they have some repentance. Their judgment is, doesn't go away, but it gets delayed. And eventually is fulfilled through the Babylonians when the Babylonians came through uh, with Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed them. And so... Um, while the northern kingdom will be defeated by the Assyrians, the southern kingdom, not till much later. And so this is very important to understand because Micah's prophecies are still going to come to pass on the southern kingdom, eventually. Just not when we would think that they would. And notice what it says in Jeremiah twenty-six eighteen, because this is much later, but Jeremiah and his prophecy, which he was prophet during the time when the southern kingdom was taken over by the Babylonians. And in Jeremiah 26:18, it says, Micah, the Morashthite, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as high places of a forest. So Jeremiah, when he's given his prophecy, he refers to the fact that, hey, years ago, what is about to come on us is something that Micah prophesied about. Because again, the prophecies of Micah had probably almost been forgotten by some of the people because they didn't come to pass in that day. But Israel still has judgment coming for them because of all the wickedness that they've done. And so Jeremiah is reminding him them of those prophecies of Micah. He didn't want them to think they got out of it, even though the northern kingdom had gotten what Micah prophesied. You know, he didn't want them to think, no, we're getting a pass. No, that judgment's still coming. It's still going to happen to us. And so, um, that happens a lot in Bible prophecy where you only see part of it fulfilled. And there's a few reasons for that. And it's because, one, often while doom is being pronounced on a certain generation, hope is also given about a future Messiah and kingdom that's going to come someday. And we're going to see some examples of that in this book. We just need to make sure that whenever we see some, one of those prophecies fulfilled, that we don't try to make everything fulfilled. That's a mistake people often make in, in interpreting prophecy. And so because some prophecies were contingent on whether or not they obeyed, you know, that is why these things didn't exactly play out as we read, because there were some terms and conditions in there. If you do this, it'll happen this way. If you don't do this, it'll happen this way. And so you've got to, you often have to look and see what actually happened. And you usually won't find that in that prophetic book. You'll find it in the historical books, 
You know, you'll find out, uh, for example, whenever people read the book of Jeremiah and they're reading all these uh, prophecies about them being restored to their land, what nobody does, okay, what nobody does is nobody goes to Ezra and Nehemiah to see what happened when they got restored to their land. They just, they look at all these prophecies like, well, those things didn't happen. Therefore, you know, these things are still yet to come. It's like, no, not necessarily. And I'm reading through Jeremiah right now. And I've been taking notes on contingent prophecies in there where it specifically lays those things out. And let me tell you, they're in there. They're in Jeremiah. They're in the book of Ezekiel. That's another thing people do when they go to Ezekiel. They'll see things in there. Hey, this never took place. This never came to pass. Therefore, it's still yet to come someday with the future restored Israel. No, it's not. Go read, go read all of Ezekiel and you'll see these things are going to come to pass if you do these things. And Israel didn't do those things. Go read Ezra and Nehemiah and see all the things that they did wrong. Go read the book of Malachi where it's calling out Israel for all the things they had done wrong after they got restored to their land. You have, you have to do that whenever you're studying Bible prophecy and people are just leaving that stuff out. They're ignoring all the historical books that come you know, after the Babylonian captivity. And so, but at the same time too, and whenever you, you say that to people, they kind of straw man you, all right? Or I, I don't know if it would be a straw man fallacy or if this is just kind of another like sleight of hand, deceptive thing that they do, red herring. Maybe it's more along the lines of a red herring fallacy. But they'll, you know, because some, some prophecies were guaranteeing certain things, good or bad. But again, the timing of those things were still dependent on what that generation did. And so often what they will do is they will go find another prophecy where there is something like absolutely guaranteed, like a lot of your messianic prophecies. And therefore, all of it's completely guaranteed. No, not necessarily. And especially when it comes to the timing of those things. And that is also, that is so important. The, the timing of these things, uh, they, were, they were contingent on a lot of stuff. And that's why we don't always see things play out all at once. So hopefully we'll, you know, we'll go more into detail on that as we go through this book. This is more of an introduction to the book of Micah so we understand what all is going on during this time. So notice verse 2. It says, Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And Micah is reminding them that the words that he is speaking, these aren't his words. This is directly from the Lord. And understand, when you know, God in sundry times and in divers' manners, he spake. And back then, one of the ways that God spoke to people that was authoritative was through the mouth of prophets. And when those prophets were speaking in the name of the Lord, just understand, they were to follow it just like we're supposed to follow this right here. Okay? And obviously God, we don't see God speaking through the mouth of prophets like that today, like he was back then, because we have the completed scriptures. I believe he stopped speaking that way after the, uh, the apostles and after their writings and after the Holy Spirit uh, gave them clarity on all these things of the Old Testament. And they wrote these things down. They cleared them all up for us. You know, now we go off of those instructions. We go off the completed scriptures. But back then, those words of the prophets, they were important because those were the words of God. And this was God speaking to them. In Israel, they had a bad habit, too, of getting mad at the prophets instead of getting right with God. 
We even see that with some good kings, where they would often, or you know, I guess we could say, you know, mostly good kings, where they would often get mad at the prophets whenever they would come and give a bad message, and that was ridiculous. We see where Jeremiah got thrown in prison by Zedekiah, who was kind of a coward of a uh, of a king, and that wasn't right. All Jeremiah did was said what the Lord told him to say, but prophets often died just for speaking God's words. And so, verse three says, "For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place." And will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him. And the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire. And as the waters that are poured down a steep place. And prophecies, they are often spoken of in a very poetic way. And this is showing that judgment is coming on them from God. And notice too, uh, and you know, I've been, you know, since I took that trip, this last trip to Israel, there was a lot of things that I learned on that trip just from observation that I think we as Americans, we have a difficult time understanding because there are so many things that are different in our culture. And so, for example, in our culture in America, we don't really have old stuff today, do we? In fact, uh, when my wife and I, we went to Philadelphia a couple of years ago, and me and Chloe went there too, there's a... What's the name of that street, that super old one? What is it? Elrith Alley, I think it's called. It's like one of the oldest streets in America. And it goes back to like the late 1700s. We think that is so old in America. And and it is for America. But, you know, that's nothing in most countries. They've got things so much older. They've got buildings so much older than that. I remember when I was in Ireland, I was just amazed that, you know, we went and visited this one castle from like the 14th or 15th century, and it just blew my mind, something that old, you know, and there was stuff like that all over the place. And then you go to Israel, I mean, there's things thousands of years old there. And what, and what the, and so what's interesting about that too, is even these places that, uh, when I was in Israel, for example, in the city of David. You know, they're excavating all this stuff there. You know, they were doing it while we were there. They're excavating stuff. They're removing debris. And you're just seeing just ruins down very deep into the ground. And understand, these ruins that they're finding, you know, at one time was a thriving area that was also like a thousand years old. Where like the people that were operating in that area, I mean, these things have been going on for hundreds and even over a thousand years. And so when you talk about just going and treading something down, destroying something, making it heaps, that would really blow the minds of these people when they're living in places and cities that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years. In America, we don't even think about that. We just tear everything down and start all over. You know, we make everything so cheap today. But back then, they made things to last for forever. And, and so, you know, when we read stuff like this, it's really hard for us to picture or I guess think the way they would have thought about these things because we can totally imagine you know, certain things just being wiped out, gone, destroyed because we do that all the time. But back then, that was, uh, that was more of a foreign thought to them. And it's basically when he's doing that, it's just God, it was the prophet's way of showing them God's judgment is coming. All these cities, all these things that you've built, they are going to be gone. They are going to be destroyed. Y'all are going to be starting all over again. And we'll see more prophecies about that later in the book that I think are, are very important prophecies to understand. And so, 
In this next verse, in verse 5, Micah, he starts to bring charges against Israel because he, you know, he's not just pronouncing doom and gloom. He's telling them why. For example, you know, whenever we go soul winning, we tell people about hell, but we also tell them why they're going to hell, right? It wouldn't make sense to avoid the fact that they're a sinner, which is what a lot of preachers want to do today. They want to, they want to avoid the judgment part, and then they also want to avoid the sin, you know, why judgment's coming part. But the truth is, if you don't talk about those things, then why do people even need Jesus? You know, and so it's always important to lay out the charges, and that's what he does. And so he says, For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria as an heap of the field and as a planting of a vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And so right there, again, this is an example of something that we don't really think about, but these things happen. Again, these, imagine these cities that have, and these buildings that have been around for hundreds, maybe over a thousand years. Imagine hearing these things are going to be taken down to the foundations, and this, this place is going to become a heap. And he said that specifically about their high places. And he said that about Samaria. And he said that about Jerusalem. We see specifically later in the book of Micah, and we already referred to the verse in Jeremiah, where it says Zion is going to be plowed like a field. Zion is where the temple was in the city of David. And God was saying, I'm going to turn this into a heap. And if you go over to Israel today, we do not have stuff like this in America but if you go over to Israel today, all over the place, they have what they call tells, which are basically just giant heaps. They look like abnormal hills kind of out in the middle of an area. And what those basically are, are just ruins to old cities that had been destroyed. And just over hundreds and thousands of years of them just sitting there, eventually dirt covers them up. Things grow over them and the only way, reason you even know that a city was ever there is because of the fact you just kind of have this abnormal heap. I watched a documentary uh, years ago that was just like this hypothetical, what if humans just all of a sudden were gone one day? And it was showing what would happen, you know, all over the world. And it was really interesting, but it was showing, I forgot after how many, a certain amount of years, you know, a lot of your cities and towns and things, they, they would become that way. They would just become these hills and heaps. Things would fall down. Stuff would start growing over it. And that's basically what happened in these places. And so you can go over to Israel today and you can see examples of this all over the place. And that, so this is something, I think they would have understood this prophecy, how it worked. But also, too, it would have been a really big deal considering these are thriving areas. You know, imagine, you know, a place like Chicago. And obviously the cities and buildings weren't like they were like that back then. But just imagine, what if Chicago just got abandoned? Probably needs to happen. And then, you know, and then 500 years later, you know, what would it look like if you went back and visited there? You know, a lot of the buildings would probably fall down over time. Things would get overgrown. I mean, one can only imagine. Uh, if you watch that documentary, it kind of showed some examples of uh, what they thought things would look like. But that's basically what he's pronouncing. An interesting thing about that, too, you know, the city of David, where, where I believe that the temple was, I mean, that place literally was a heap. 
that all that stuff that they're excavating now was under just several feet of dirt and rubbish that they're still clearing out. Unlike the traditional Temple Mount area that brags about all their stones that are still there from Solomon's day and from Herod's day and all that kind of stuff. It, you know, what Micah prophesied, sure enough, came to pass on Mount Zion, which is one of the reasons just biblically, I'm not convinced that the traditional Temple Mount is where the temple ever stood. It doesn't fit the prophecies, it doesn't fit what the scripture says. And so, um, verse 7 says, And the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof will I lay desolate, for she gathered it out of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of a harlot. And this is just showing how they just threw everything away for nothing. You know, they were like Esau, you know, where the Bible talks about who for, for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And basically it was just, it was such a cheap price that he got for something that was of great value. And, it, and Israel and Samaria, they've just kind of thrown everything away for nothing, for just cheap, you know, cheap thrills and carnality, and it wasn't worth it. And so verse 8 says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and the mourning as the owls. For her wound is incurable, for it has come unto Judah. He has come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so going stripped and naked is something that is often symbolic of a nation's shame being seen throughout the world. And it's still that way today where nations are very concerned about how they look to other nations. You know, a lot of times a nation might be vulnerable, militarily speaking, but they, they don't want other nations to know that because they might, you know, get invaded if people knew how vulnerable they were. Or, um, like in our country, I think there's a lot that our government does to try to cover up um, how we are economically speaking. And financially speaking, because they don't want other nations taking advantage of us in that area. And so uh, when it comes to nations and how things are, you know, you can't really trust what the politicians are saying. You know, the truth is, just like everyone has nakedness, but it's a natural thing to try to cover it up and not let it all be out there. It's the same thing, too, in nations. We often have weaknesses. We often have vulnerabilities. And you don't want everybody knowing it because it is. It's embarrassing. And then people, too, they can take advantage of it. And so, um, basically, when he's talking about going stripped and naked here, this is basically them showing it's like God's going to let the nations know how you really are. Because they were supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be a light to all nations. They were supposed to represent God. And it made God look bad if they're not being judged with all their wickedness that's going on. So, you know, when God decided that he was going to judge Israel, God was going to make sure the whole world knew what was going on. God was going to make sure the whole world knew just how bad they were. And it's kind of like you might remember the story of Isaiah, who would have been alive around this time. Remember the prop where he went around naked and barefoot for three years? Uh, um, and he did that as a testimony against Egypt and Ethiopia because of the wickedness that was going on there. He basically, you know, God had him do that. Uh, talks about that in Isaiah chapter 20. And it was, it was like a testimony against them as a nation. And so kind of an interesting thing, but, you know, nations don't want the enemy to know 
when they are weak and vulnerable. Verse 10 says, Declare ye it not at Gath. Weep ye not at all in the house of Aphra. Roll thyself in the dust. In that phrase about not declaring it in Gath, we see that was also used by David in 2 Samuel 1.20. It says, Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And basically what it's saying right here, it's, you know, I think something we can all relate to. Obviously, it's always bad when you fail and are shamed, but it's worse when your enemies see it. Isn't it 10 times worse when like, you know, we all don't like when bad things happen to us, but boy, it's like when you fall down, you just hope nobody saw it. But imagine like when your enemies see it, you know, that's the, that's the worst thing that can happen. Now that verse that David said in second Samuel one twenty, this was after Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. And obviously Saul was under God's judgment and a lot of preachers in the IFB, they've used that verse as a verse to say, you know, don't, you know, we don't have, to, we, we shouldn't be talking about and exposing sin in the IFB world. And, and, and here's the thing about that. First off, that verse is not telling us we should not expose sin and wickedness. If somebody in the IFB world does wrong and they, does, they do wicked, they should get called out. But at the same time, too, what David's doing there is he's just, he's expressing his feelings and just letting people, you know, and just basically saying, you know, I don't want my enemies to hear about this. Okay. He's just declaring his shame. Understand it's God that exposes these things. And so, it, you know, it was God that exposed things with Saul and, and that brought judgment in this story here in Micah. It's God that's bringing judgment. It's God that's uncovering the nakedness of Israel. It's God that's exposing these things. And the truth is, in the IFB world, whenever there have been bad people that have been nailed, been exposed for perversion or whatever, just understand, one of the reasons it's often been so bad and so devastating is because it's usually God exposing these things. And when God has to step in and expose things, it's going to be bad. And that's why we ought to do it ourselves. It's better for us to humble ourselves than to have God step in and humble us. So that's why one of the reasons, too, I don't believe in cover-ups. One... I believe cover-ups are just wrong, but two, nothing stays covered. I mean, folks, who do you, who, who would we rather, if we have a scandal in our church, who would we rather uncover the scandal? Us or Eric Skwazinski? Okay. I think it'd be better if it was us. Okay. Cause if we do it, obviously that's humbling, but that's also us humbling ourselves. That's us doing the right thing. And now God can give us grace. Where if we get stubborn and if we're like, no, we're not going to cover, you know, we're going to cover these things up, publish it not in Gath, you know, we can't tell anybody about this, then you know what? God's going to humble us and he's going to let some, you know, atheist fruit loop make us look bad and end up making all Christians look bad and make God look bad. And we don't want that to happen. So, you know, we just, that's why you just got to do the right thing yourself. And so, um, but at the same time too, if something were to happen, okay, you know, and something bad happens, you know, we, even if we uh, expose it, do the right thing, I still, I still wish there was a way I could make sure none of our enemies found out about it. You know why? Because it just adds to the shame. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to be painful. You know, I, I wouldn't enjoy watching all the IFB haters out there 
exploiting the situation, trying to use it uh, for their own benefit and to advance their own agenda, I'm going to hate that. Uh, you know, and it's not something I'm going to want to. I, I would want to see, but you know, it's one of the things we would probably have to deal with, and that's why we just got to do everything we can to keep sin out of the church and keep uh, you know keep things the way they should be. It's just it's not worth it. So verse 11 says, "Pass ye away." Thou inhabitant of Saphir, having the, thy shame naked, the inhabitant of Zanan came not forth in the morning of Bethesel. Ye shall receive, uh, uh, he shall receive you of his standing, for the inhabitant of Meroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. And this is another important thing that I'm always showing with a lot of these prophecies that is... It's so important that we get a hold of this. The judgment that was coming on Israel, that was coming on the northern kingdom, that was on its way to the southern kingdom during this time, yes, it was by the hand of the Assyrians. Yes, it was guys like Sennacherib. Yes, it was Nebuchadnezzar later. But understand, all this that was coming on them, it was from God. God was doing it. And understand... When, and this is, this is something I think we do this on purpose, just as sinful people. But whenever God is dealing with his people, obviously God himself in the flesh doesn't show up to deal with us. God often uses wicked people like the Assyrians. And I've talked about this before, but what people often do is they get really mad at the Assyrians. When the truth is, you know what? God ended up having the Assyrians destroyed. Okay, the, what, what Israel should have done, they should have cared more about God and just getting things right with him. But you know something else that we see that was around this time? Jonah was around this time. And remember, the Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. And Jonah hated Nineveh. You know why? Because of all the wickedness that they were doing, all the nations that they were defeating. They were, they were a threat to Israel and they eventually would be the undoing of the northern kingdom. And so Jonah just hated these people. He wanted to see God destroy them. But the truth is, if Israel would have just been right with God, if they would have been obedient to God, the Assyrians would have had no power against them at all. But what's Jonah doing? He's sitting around worrying about the Assyrians. And it's the same thing too, you know, with a lot of IFB people who are always hating on the Assyrians that are like exposing all the sin in their camp. It's just like, well, you know, hey, if you guys would just keep your nose clean, these people would have no power over you. If you would just be obedient to God, if you wouldn't ordain perverts, if you wouldn't keep perverts in the pulpit, if you wouldn't cover for them, you know, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't platform these guys, if you wouldn't support this kind of thing, if you actually be obedient to the scriptures, these people would have no power over you. And that's one of the reasons, too, I like messing with a lot of like the recovering fundamentalists and the Preacher Boys podcasts and stuff. Because, you know, first off, a lot of people are scared of them. But I just like to show people there's no reason to be scared of these people. If you're actually being obedient to God, they have no power over you. And, and you think about all the videos and things they've made about me that have literally had zero effect. Yeah, even like IFB preacher clips. You know, they've learned. It's pointless featuring this guy's clips. It doesn't affect him negatively. But, you know, that's because I, you know, I'm not trying to be cocky, but the thing is, when you're doing things biblically, when you're doing things right, 
You know, when you don't waste your time preaching on something unless you know you're right, you know, then you don't have to worry about that stuff. It's, it's not a threat. And so, but, when, but let me tell you, when you're dirty, when you're not doing things right, when what you're preaching isn't necessarily biblical, but it's what's politically correct in your movement, then understand, you do need to fear people like that. And those people too, they might be your undoing. But understand, it's by the hand of God because he's upset with you. And what you need to do is you just need to get right with God. And if Israel would have gotten right with God, Nineveh would have never been a problem. The Assyrians never would have been a problem. And while the southern kingdom does have a little bit of a revival, guess what? The Assyrians got defeated by God. They, God, God did it. Not Israel or not Judah. So the, the judgment that came on them, you know, and Micah's showing this, this came from the Lord. So it says, but evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. And so verse 13 says, O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgression of Israel were found in thee. Therefore shalt thou give presents unto Morishgath, the house of Aksib, shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee. O inhabitant of Moresha, he shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. Make thee bald, and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from them. And I believe what it's talking about there when it's talking about making themselves bald, it was basically God's way of telling them to humble themselves, which is that was one of the things that they would do when they would humble themselves or go into mourning. Uh, that, that was kind of how they practiced it back then. And God's basically telling these people, you know what? You guys need to humble yourselves right now. You need to go into mourning right now. And that's what they were always supposed to do. Whenever we see these prophecies and it's telling them all these terrible things, sometimes prophecies are spoken in a way this is going to happen. Nothing can change it. But when you see them saying stuff like this, telling them to you know, make themselves bald as the eagle, and to mourn, things like that. It's, this is a call to repentance. Anytime you see a call to repentance in a bad prophecy, you know what? That's actually providing hope. That's a good thing. You could say that every single person in this world has had a bad prophecy pronounced against them. It's called, for the wages of sin is death. That's a bad pro- That's a really bad prophecy. But thankfully... All those prophecies about hell, you know, that prophecy about all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. I mean, that's prophecy. So they shall have. Therefore, you know, we're going to go with the Tyler Doka doctrine and, you know, even saved people are going to do some time in the lake of fire. No, listen, that, yeah, that is prophetic, but there's also a call to repentance in there. Whenever there's a call to repentance, that means there's a way out. And so if we will believe on Christ, if we will have our sins washed away, if we will acknowledge those sins, he will forgive us and we don't have to have that outcome. And so interestingly enough, when it comes to this prophecy right here, you've got it's going to two groups. It mentions Samaria and Jerusalem. Samaria, it's the capital city of the northern kingdom. They did not repent. And so guess what? All these bad things came on them where Judah did repent. And so these things ended up not coming in that generation. 
So eventually later, you know, it came on a generation that was in disobedience. And that's the way it would, that's the way it would always go down. And so, um, the, you know, so the thing is, we've all experienced this in our own life. We heard the words of the prophets. We heard about the doom and destruction coming for our souls because of our sin. And those of us who acknowledge that sin and those of us who look to Jesus like the Bible said to do, you know what? We've been, we've been cleansed and there will be a different outcome. And we will not have part in the lake of fire. We will not have part in that. We will, we will not spend one second in hell. Thank God for that. So the book of Micah, it starts out pretty strong coming at Israel. And this judgment, it was going to be severe. And they'd ask for every bit of it. Just understand, um, you know, they have, you know, just, just what they've done so far in our study through Judges. We've gone through 12 chapters of Judges. And a lot of what they're dealing, that they deal with during this generation goes all the way back to the time of Judges and the things that went on there. And understand, God does not enjoy punishing His people. And He is just letting them know judgment's coming and it would be in their best interest to humble themselves. And why is God doing this? He's basically telling these people, give me a reason to turn from my wrath. And so again, Judah, Judah they took advantage of this, and, uh, but the northern kingdom did not, and uh, they got nailed. So uh, that is an introduction to the book of Micah, and next week we'll pick up in chapter 2 right where we left off and hopefully see more examples of this kind of thing and help us to read Bible prophecy properly. We've got to learn to Read, always read the prophecies first the way you would have read it in the day that they were received. Most people don't do that. They read all prophecies as if it's for us and what's still to come. It's like, no, you can't do that. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was helped to everybody. I pray you'll help us to uh, learn from it, Lord. Help us to uh, have the wisdom and humility that whenever we do mess up to just humble ourselves and uh, that we won't be stubborn, try to hide these things and wait for you to step in. Lord, but we'll just uh, take care of business on our own. I pray help us be successful in these areas. Pray bless the service in the next hour. In your name we pray. Amen.